This week in Retronauts, this one goes out to the ones we love, even though they're not super. Everyone, welcome to Retronauts episode whatever the hell. I've lost count. I don't know when this is going up, but you're listening to it now, and that's what's important. And I am Jeremy Parrish, disorganized as ever, and here to keep things on track and within the guidelines we have. Hi, I'm Bob Mackey, and I love shell creepers. That's what they're called, right? <laughs> that is what they're called. They are the uh, the prototypes for Koopas. Mm. How about you over there in the corner, the opposite, like kitty corner from me? Oh, I don't know what that means. I'm Ray Barnhold. Hi. I think that's a Midwestern term. Is that is linguistic that? note? It is. Yeah. You can either say kitty corner or catty corner, catty corner. but don't say either one. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. God. The seal has been broken. I don't like people knowing I'm from the Midwest. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> I'm just going to have a cold oh. glass of pop. Uh, hey, LCD Super Mario lover, Henry Gilbert. Hi. And yes, we are here to talk more about Mario. You're sick of Mario. We're sick of – no, <laughs> it's not true. We all love Mario games. And uh, this is actually a follow-on from our most recent Mario episode. Um, last time we recorded an episode about Super Mario Brothers 2. And it was supposed to be about an episode about Super Mario Brothers 2s, but we didn't have time to tackle the second one. And rather than just cram it in and, and give it short shrift, I felt like we should talk about Super Mario Brothers 2 Japan, The Lost Levels. Um, and, you know, since that might be a tough conversation to have an entire episode about, I thought, <laughs> well, why don't we, um, you know, Bring in some of the other sort of odds and ends that uh, kind of exist on the periphery of Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers 2 as we know them in America. So this has become an episode that I'm calling Super Mario Oddities. It's a very funny joke. Uh, mm-hmm. But this will be a lot of the games leading up to basically Super Mario Brothers 2, the Lost Levels, um, that don't fall under the banner of Super Mario Brothers. And uh, we've called in people who know and love Mario games. And uh, I wanted Ray here to be here. I wanted Ray to be here specifically because I know he is um, willing to go to the mats for the Japanese version of Super Mario Brothers 2. That's right. Would really? you consider yourself a fan? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like that, that game does not have a good reputation and I'm, I'm actually not really that big on it. So I wanted to have someone here to balance my negativity out. I'm totally ready to yell and scream about it. <laughs> All right, <laughs> do it. Let's get Ray fired up. So without further ado, let's yell and scream. going to start with uh, Mario before he was super. We're going to talk about Mario Brothers, which we've never – I don't know that we've ever really discussed that on Retronauts. Mm. And it's, it's, that's kind of weird because it's – you know it's, as much as we talk about Nintendo games and Mario games, uh, this is kind of a, a linchpin title. It's very like a, like a keystone almost yeah. and a lot, a lot of things come out of it. Um, 
you know, Super Mario Brothers definitely was the more impactful game, but there could be no Super Mario Brothers without Mario Brothers. And I'm actually, uh, you know, this is a game that I liked as a kid and then decided wasn't that good. And now I've come back around on it and I Check really it like out. it again. Sorry, I thought you were done with your sentence. But this has been my wallpaper for the past three years on my phone. The, the Mario Brothers art for the arcade cabinet is my, some of my favorite art of all time. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. I love their floppy hats and dumpy bodies. They're, and the little, the little plus sign teeth. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Very God. Fleischer meets anime. It's great. Uh, I, I love this game so much. And I, I remember this game. I played things like Atari 2600 and, and Pac-Man and stuff, but uh, I just remember being drawn to this game as a child just because of just all the characters and and stuff like that on the screen. Yeah, so this game came out in June of 1983, I want to say. Um, very, very – like right around the same time that Nintendo launched the family computer in Japan. Um, but they were still, you know, applying the arcade – trade at that point. And I, I think this was one of the games that they developed internally, which is why you see it on things like uh, Arcade Archives, whereas you don't see Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Skyskipper, that sort of thing, because those were done <laughs> externally. And I think there's a lot of rights issues with those. But Mario Brothers was their own work, their own creation, top to bottom. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty big game. Um, it represented a big change for Mario, the character. And it represented... Uh, kind of the establishment of Nintendo's very sort of, I don't know, like their favorite approach to multiplayer gaming, I would say, which is cooperative but also competitive. Like there's room to be helpful and friendly and, and mm-hmm. support the other person but also room to be a total dick and screw over the other person. Yeah, I especially like how they have – it's like a shared resource thing, that pal block. It's just this thing that you could both use but you kind of have to plan to use it together and it's a, it's like a trust exercise almost. And then if you want to just be a dick like, well, I'm just going to use them all at once. Bow, bow, bow. Ha, fuck you. Well, that, that's not even the biggest way to be a jerk in this game. Like the, the fact is Mario and Luigi, his newly introduced brother, uh, are vulnerable to the same – mechanics that the enemies are yeah. vulnerable to and you can uh, punch the ground under the other player to screw them up or you know when they're going in to kick an upside down enemy you can punch underneath the enemy to flip it right side up so like you can you can really be a jerk and <laughs> and totally screw over your your friend or rival or who sibling whatever if you want to but that's not the ideal way to play however they, it does yeah. exist it doesn't accomplish much no no in the except they, making people mad right when they put this game into Mario 3 as a mini game you could steal cards or trade cards mm. from your uh, from the second player but no one ever really tinkered with that that much but it was a th- you could play Mario Brothers in Mario 3 that was the first time I played Mario Brothers because my local arcade didn't have it it for my Local pizza place had DK and DK Jr., but not Mario Brothers. And so only when I tried out the versus mode in Mario Brothers uh, uh, 3 did I get to finally experience it. Then I I discovered it at some arcade afterwards. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask when you guys discovered the game. So now I know with Henry (laughs) it was – uh, in Super Mario Brothers three, what about, what about you, Ray? I probably rented it for NES. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. And then I think I also saw. I hadn't had seen the arcade version before, so I think I only saw that at like Circus Circus in Reno. Okay. We were <laughs> in a family trip once. Were you there on the set of The Wizard? No, uh, I mean it felt like it because there was like this basement arcade with a bunch of the retro Nintendo games at the time. Hmm. I was just like, oh, I haven't seen any of these before. Don't let me go. Reno is very impressive to children. It's less so when you're an adult. One part of it. (laughs) (laughs) One one basement. 
Uh, what about you, Bob? I think uh, I could be conflating this with Popeye or maybe Kangaroo uh, in terms of where it existed, but it might have been in the a lobby of like a Big Lots or a Hills department store in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember always being drawn to the art and the characters of, mm-hmm. of the game for sure. Actually, yeah, my pizza place, they did have Popeye. That was – I think now I think back on it in Mazio's Pizza. That was my in Arkansas. That was my not the Mazio. Mazio's. That was my favorite of the machines they had. There was Popeye because I knew who Popeye was. Yeah, like, me too. A giant ape is fun, but here's Popeye and Bluto, characters I've heard of, and I don't know why Mar, uh, why Popeye is punching bottles all the time, but it looks fun. Yeah. Yeah, and because I'm an old person, I played this game <laughs> in the arcades when it was brand new. Um, it was you know. Pretty pretty widely circulated at the, at the you know in 1983 84 so it was it was all over the place and I played it a lot and sometimes I got to play it with other people but mostly I just played it on my own because you know it was always at like roller rinks or whatever and other kids wanted to skate and I was like mm, <laughs> physical activity I don't know but no, I could play video you. games no thank you yeah so uh, yeah so I definitely have fond memories of, of playing this back in the day. But of course, you know, once Super Mario Brothers came out, then I was like, Mario Brothers, that's stupid and old. Who cares about that? That's just one screen. There's no boss. You don't have really cool stuff to do and power-ups, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so it kind of got thrown by the wayside. But Nintendo still loved it yeah. and uh, kept kept revisiting it over and over again. It's an important part of Mario continuity history too in that, well, obviously, you know, the first appearance of Luigi, but also it's when they decided he's a plumber and not a carpenter. Right. And uh, from then on, he kind of would be as much as Nintendo – I feel like they don't want him to be a plumber anymore <laughs> in co- like canon. They're like, well, no, he's just – he's Mario. Yeah, it's fun. He's not but, – But they can't get rid of the pipes. So yeah, the there's, pipes there's are There's this there. whole pipe thing that's stuck he's, there. Like all plumbers, he climbs through pipes, like Let's, human body-sized pipes. The plumber is some sort of American in, in, invention in terms of Mario's I think they lore. Really, they leaned into it a yeah. lot more because of that and yeah, um, like, you know, he hasn't – you don't see him holding a plunger or a wrench in anything yeah. but like American cartoons. So. Yeah, and you know, Mario had a lot of odd jobs in the early days and we'll talk about some of those yeah. later but like there was a Game & Watch game where he joined the army but you don't, <laughs> you don't see Nintendo yeah. like Mario the Soldier or Mario the Demolitions guy for some reason they, they really seized on or the, the, the cement factory yeah that's right well, he's in the mob but uh yeah. Uh, so plumbing is sort of like Mario's uh, so, like Sonic's chili dogs almost where it's this <laughs> iconic thing that no game actually references. Sure. Though yeah, right. no, in Sonic Generation, he eats a big chili dog. Yeah, like true. His birthday party. Recently, recently done that. They've, been, yeah, they've, it, they've even accepted like fine chili dogs, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, this was the first year of Luigi uh, right. in 1983. That's right. <laughs> but uh, though he technically, I think – by a couple months, the Game & Watch version of this came out first. So I really? Think that, uh, is that I, right? Well, this this is old research I did for an article like five years ago, so I could be wrong. But as as I recall, the dates on at least a Wikipedia page, which have to be true. Oh, well, yeah, if it's on <laughs> Wikipedia. Yeah, they, they pegged the Game & Watch uh, hitting the Japanese market before Mario uh, Brothers hmm. Arcade did, but – Interesting. Well, th- this game uh, yeah, did. Let's, yeah, let's bring that to the talk page, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mario Brothers did make its way home very quickly. Uh, you know, this was, like I said, the arcade game debuted right around the same time as the Family Computer, and the Famicom version of this uh, debuted in like September. So that was about three months, which is a really quick turnaround time. And of course, the home version was not 
as impressive looking as the arcade version. Uh, the there was like some severe flicker on character sprites, and the, the characters didn't look as nice, and you know they didn't have the little sort of glowing vanishing effect on coins when you picked them up, mm-hmm. and there was just a little less color depth, but still. It was a very accurate version of the game. Uh, it captured all the content, uh, all the enemies, all the play mechanics. The physics felt right. Um, and so I, I kind of feel like this was sort of an important work for Nintendo to say like, hey, we are really serious about the home market because here was this brand new arcade game and you could have the version that they created to play at home just a few months later, you know, if you were a kid in Japan. Um, but it was one of the uh, last Nintendo games they really started licensing out big time to the U.S. consoles, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was definitely on. It was on Coleco. Was it? I, it was on I, Atari. Yeah, yeah twenty six hundred and fifty two hundred. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think the Atari version is where we get the the amazing commercial that references. Yeah, yeah. coming up the plumbing for Luigi's in a bind. Giant turtles out to get him. Creepy crabs are right behind. Fireflies, jeepers, shites, they're all coming out the pipes. Atari Mario Brothers with Mario from Donkey Kong. Yeah. That's that's where it really dug into people's brains. The plumbing mm-hmm. thing. That ad. I I didn't see that ad when it was new because I was like two, one or two. But I did buy old comic books that were published in 1983 or four that had the back page ad was a comic book version of Mario. Where are you? Mm-hmm. The song. Yep. Thing. Uh, yeah. The novelization. Uh, and and it's that's right. The the see the hit comic based on the car- the commercial. Um it's interesting though, because the uh the the American commercial for the home version of uh of Mario Brothers for some competing system is, is kind of the first instance we see of Luigi characterized as a little bit of a nebbish mm-hmm. where he's like, Mario, where are you? Mm-hmm. Not not quite Charles Martinet there, but I mean, that that's like the characterization they give him is, is a little bit helpless without his brother, and that's that's really sort of stuck. Is like Luigi's always in Mario's shadow, but it uh, it's closer to the Lou Albano type voice though, right? As well, it's it's more t- they're Italian, don't you know? Yes, yeah. it's it's funny on the on the art for the arcade game. Luigi is the more aggressive one. He's like shaking his fist at monsters while Mario's <laughs> just sort of like looking in the pipe uh, quizzically. Yeah, he he takes more of the lead there. I wonder if they hadn't done that ad, if we would think of Luigi as the wuss of the group. Agro Luigi. <laughs> because otherwise, like, that wasn't even his characterization in the Super Show so much as the guy who was afraid. He was just like, him and Mario barely had characters on the Super Show. I guess the the only characteristic was like Mario was hungrier than Luigi because he was drawn fatter. Like that was the one <laughs> the one difference. Well in, in this game they're completely identical. Mm-hmm. They have no differences whatsoever. They are the same sprite with different colors. Yeah. Oh, also, wasn't uh, is this an old wives' tale about the game? But that they Miyamoto wanted them to be able to jump on the turtles and the enemies, but they couldn't. So, like technologically wise, so they had to hit. They that's how they invented the hitting them and kicking them. I don't them know. Thing. I feel like hitting a, a static object in a level and making it ripple mm. is more technically challenging than coming mm. up with the collision detection for someone like to, for one sprite to jump on the other. I could be wrong, but I had always heard. Well, this again is just a wise tale. But I mean, I, how different could that be from the you know the routine that caused fruit to fall onto 
to birds or trap jaws or whatever in Donkey Kong Jr. Like mm. they that that idea was already there. I think, but I, th- I feel like the the ripple effect on the floor that's that's mm. more complex, more challenging. I'm sure something predates this, but I, I think Mario Super Mario Brothers unlocked this idea for all of humans that like oh yeah, jumping on things that's a way to kill things. And and every game before that's like no, you cannot touch anything. You're dead. Yeah. You touched it. Just like, shoot it. Shoot it. Yeah, I can't think of games before Mario where you could actually collide with enemies and come out ahead unless you were powered up or whatever. Yeah, and Pac-Lander Smurf, like, you were dead if you touched anything. Mm-hmm. And Mappy had to use microwaves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> burger times, you had to drop burgers. Yep, yep. But Mario was his own burger. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the play mechanic here, you don't jump on turtles. Uh, there are no Goombas. The turtles are called shell creepers. There are fighter flies, which are little hopping flies. They're fun. Shell creeper crabs. Um, you can't jump on anything. Uh, instead, what you do is the enemies come out of pipes and make their way down to the bottom of the screen and basically go into a loop. And to clear out the stage, which is the goal of each level uh, of all enemies, you punch the floor underneath the uh, you punch the floor underneath that enemy, and it'll flip the enemy upside down. And there's a little bit of complexity here. Like if you punch directly under the enemy, the enemy will flip straight up in the air and land on its back. But if you punch adjacent to the enemy, oh, yeah. then they'll, it'll uh, like hit it at an angle and cause it to flip, uh, you know, like it fly at a 45-degree angle as it flips over. And you can, you can use that to your advantage by hitting the floor between two enemies and causing both of them to flip over. And then once they've flipped over, then, you know, they're helpless for like five seconds. So you jump, run up and kick them off the, the side of the stage. But you have to be careful because they will flip over right way the right way and uh, after a few seconds and then they become more aggressive and will come after you. Some enemies have to be flipped over twice or hit underneath twice and yeah, so so it becomes more complex and it becomes faster and there's more variation. And uh, I think we neglected those uh, those ice demons. Slip ice. Yeah. I was about to mention those. And you have to kill those before they, they infect the entire platforms. Right. Yeah, so they'll come out and um, they come out of the pipes at the top and slide along the ground and whenever they come to the center of a platform, the first clear platform that they come to the center of, they'll take anchor uh, and uh, start to spread ice along the entire surface of the uh, of the platform. But if you if you punch them from beneath before the platform is completely iced over, you'll you'll prevent that from happening. Uh, ice physics in a game of 1983's vintage is pretty complex. I'm actually surprised there were no ice levels in Super Mario Brothers or ice uh, effects. Yeah, in it's Mar- interesting because I think I think I mentioned this in the Super Mario <laughs> Brothers episode, but people would call certain levels the ice yeah. level because they were kind of like a white or yeah. uh, light gray palette. But I never yeah. read them as ice because you don't slip on them in Mario Brothers, you had ice and you slipped on it. I think it was placebo effect. They just <laughs> thought they were slipping. <laughs> well, that ice, yeah. uh, that ice uh, slip ice guy, it's one of my favorite attack items in Smash Brothers oh, yeah. as well. Like they're great. You just throw them, you froze the dude, and they 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 go through uh, the stage. It's the same way. And I think I mean. Uh, I don't think this was inspiration for it, but this kind of single screen area where you fight it, it does remind me of Smash Brothers as well in a similar similar vein. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much arcade games at the time. Yes. And, and really, this has direct precedent in Joust, which mm-hmm. was a 1982 yeah. game by John Newcomer for M- Williams. And um, like that was a single screen arena with you know multi-tiered platforms. And two players could compete at once, uh, like cooperate and compete. So, and it even had kind of the same effect where you would like 
uh, affect an enemy and then you would have to follow up with an attack to get rid of it. So I feel like this game must have been somewhat inspired by Joust. I, 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 oh, no I know there's like, yeah. you know, yeah. Nintendo is kind of its own little bubble, but at, at the time, I find it hard to imagine that they were completely oblivious to uh, the existence of other games. And, you know, Joust was even one of the games that uh, Satoru Iwata and Hal converted to mm-hmm. NES, to Famicom, as uh, part of Nintendo's pitch to Atari, like, please license our our console for sale in America and distribute it for us. And that was happening. You know, they were making that pitch in 83, 84. So, so they, they, they had to have been aware of Joust. And that's fine. Like this, you know, they, they made a much more direct Joust clone uh, a couple of years later in the form of Balloon Fight. But I, I feel like, you know, they probably – Saw that style of game and were like, "Oh, that's that's a you know, I like the dynamic there. That's cool. Let's let's create our own take on it." And they came up with something that was wholly unique. Mm-hmm. And so, go ahead. It's interesting to see what they didn't keep for the super version of this game, the mm-hmm. super sequel, in that only the Koopa survived, and you never saw crabs again. You never saw flies again. Maybe there's, I guess there's kind of crabs in Yoshi's Island, but they're very different. There's there's crabs in uh, there's Cloglip in Super True, Mario that's, like, USA. That's, that's the dad of these things. Yes. But I also <laughs> noticed that uh, I think they real like uh, something that always got to me. And even though I love this game, it's like I always feel so bad for the turtles when you knock them on their backs, so they're just looking around like helpless. So I feel like. Uh, make, turning them into shells when you stomp on them in Mar- Super Mario Bros. was like uh, it was a game design thing, but also a way to make it seem less cruel. <laughs> right, but that, that, that's that's one of the places where the the game's personality comes through. You, you miss yeah. it in the NES version, but in the arcade version, uh, once a turtle is ready to right itself, you get kind of like a visual signal because it hops out of its shell and it's wearing like you know an A neck and and boxer shorts. Oh, that's where this comes it, from. Yeah, and okay. It, it flips over its shell and climbs back in. I'm so used to the NES version that I forgot about that detail. Yeah, yeah. well, the NES version lost a lot of that because it was a very early game so ROM space on it was extremely strict. It was probably like 16K or something. Uh, but they did revisit the game uh, for Famicom Disk System and then that version came out in Europe in like 1992 or 93 or something. It was way right. later um, yeah. called Mario Brothers Returns and uh, that was one of the games that they, uh, they, they they took a lot of their old Famicom like early day software and Sort of upgraded it for Famicom Disk System. Sometimes bringing in versus uh, versus version arcade uh, upgrades into the, the the remakes. So this one was basically just like they restored the graphics to look better, less flicker, more animation, bigger sprites, and also advertisements for a ramen <laughs> topping and uh, for Super Mario Brothers three. So I guess that was 1988 that they would have uh, <laughs> done that version. Um, and for for whatever reason, whatever reason, we never got that version in the U.S., but they did release it extremely late in Europe. Uh, so it was like the arcade classic series. Nintendo uh, of Europe. So we kind of got, got the short end of the <laughs> stick on that one. Nintendo of Europe is weird. They release things whenever they feel like, uh, especially then they they were just kind of fumbling in the dark in a Sega controlled uh, continent. So they didn't mm. really know what they were supposed to be. Doing.
Um, the the important thing about what Mario Brothers did not include is that it did not include Donkey Kong at all. Mm. There is no Donkey Kong in this game, and so this is you know kind of the point at which Mario spun out from Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong Three happened around the same time, and did not have Mario. It had Stanley the Bugman, who um, you know I've, I've thought about this a lot. Like whatever happened to Stanley Bug Stanley the Bugman, and then I discovered. Um, Donkey Kong 3 Daigakushi or Daigakushu, the the Hudson-developed sequel to Donkey Kong 3, which basically has this unfolding narrative through the background art where you're like fighting Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong 3 style through like – a cornfield and then a highway and then like there's a UFO and then you're like fighting Donkey Kong in the UFO. So I think Stanley the Bugman was actually abducted by <laughs> aliens and taken away from Earth and that's why we've never seen him. Went again. back to his own planet. I, I, something like that. <laughs> so the, the Smash Brothers assist trophy is like a memorial to Stanley. <laughs> MIA. Uh, his, yeah, I know in the background of a stage in Tropical Freeze you see his, his bug zapper there but no Stanley. Hmm. It said they, they walked through the old the, they walk through a stage, and in the background is the setup for the the first screen of uh, DK three. Are all the level layouts the same in Super Mario? Bro- I mean, I mean Mario Brothers in terms of level layouts. I want to yes. say yes. Um, as far as I've played, which is like I've probably made it to like level twelve or so, um, it's always the same. Was that a a new idea to have multiple levels, but the layouts still be the same? I mean, no. That was usually how games worked. Yeah. Was like Pac-Man. It's the same maze the entire time. Okay. It is Pac-Man. It's amazing. I'm conflating the maze them. Changes. Yeah, I'm conflating those in my head. Donkey so, yeah. Kong was amazing because the levels changed with each stage that you cleared. Um, so this was actually kind of a reversion in, mm. in that sense. But it was probably more focused on, um, you know, just taking that same framework and, and increasing the speed. Um, this is the game that introduced coins to the Mario toolbox, which um, is something that they've only recently begun to escape the tyranny of. <laughs> um, uh, let's it see. was nice in Odyssey to finally not have to care about coins. Yeah. Yeah. But, but oh, I died so, and lost 10 coins, whatever. What, what am I going to do? do? <laughs> but they look shiny and uh, they're so cool in, in Mario Brothers, especially when you get to the bonus stage. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Oh, it's only coins? There's no enemies? i got to get every one of these things. Ah. And that's, that's where the, the competitive element really comes in because you want to get more coins than the other player. But you mm-hmm. also want to clear out the, the, the coins entirely. It's a similar rush to getting a star in Super Mario Brothers. It's just like I've only got so much time. i got to get all I can. Nothing's in my way but me. And, yeah, finally this, you know, like I mentioned, you punch the ceiling above mm-hmm. you. And so uh, people, you know, for a long time think that Super Mario Brothers is about Mario smashing bricks with his skull, which is not the case. It's just not as clear here that you know, in, in those games that you're punching, whereas it's more distinct in the sprites here. I, uh, in my brain, I always read in Super <coughs> – in my brain, I always read in Super Mario Brothers like it was – no, he's going hooray as he smashes it with his head <laughs> yeah. and just lifting Obviously. his fist up like, yeah, I'm doing this smash. Like, yeah, that's that's Occam's razor <laughs> failing badly. Um, so, yeah, this game, like I said, Nintendo kept it in circulation for a long time. Um, it was remade for Game Boy Advance and showed up in any game on Game Boy Advance that had Mario in the title. Even, Even Super, Superstar Saga. That was inexplicable to me. And I mean, it makes sense in in any way. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense that it's in the other games. But I mean, it's a nice addition. But to put it in an RPG is just like, just add it. We have this. <laughs> right. And then there was, also, there was also Mario Clash, which I have never played because it's for Virtual Boy. So I missed out oh, on it. Yeah. But it's pretty I... much 
Mario Brothers. Isn't I it? had a good time with it. I never owned a Virtual can you, Boy. Can you describe how it plays? Um, well, yeah, it's it's it, they could make it now, like it would work just the same. But it is just the pipe takes you into foreground and background, and so you're you're killing all these pests in the world, but you also. Warp between the foreground and background, and sometimes you can. Mario now can kick things. He has his kick ability and hold uh, ability to throw things at it. And it it was a clever idea that uh, you know they played around with foreground and background stuff, like even in that uh, Wario. I think the first Wario Land mm-hmm. had that too. So it was it was cool. But well, even just, even in Wrecking Crew, which we'll talk about in a little bit, yeah. It, it but it was just sad that they it just kills your eyes like every other game. <laughs> like so it and I guess too it was it wasn't enough to sell me on the system because I was used to a Mario game not being that thin. Like mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't have a big world. It didn't have that many tricks to it. It was just a remake of Mario Brothers in the truest sense. I I was hoping for a time I was like they could just recolor this and make it work on the 3DS. I was thinking, this could, yeah, this yeah, could yeah, be thing. 3DS. Well, they could have done it with every Virtual Boy game, but yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. I it's, play, it's a shame. They well, haven't yet. You mean? I no, want to play that. They're, they're, they, they've abandoned. There's them, a Wario sure. game I haven't played yet, and it's supposedly very good. That Wario yeah, game for yeah. uh, the uh, it is the killer Virtual app. Boy. Yeah, <laughs> back when oh, Wario there. mattered. Yeah. But yeah, Clash Clash was fun. I think it was the last time they had any. Uh, super nostalgic for it enough to make a new Mario Brothers mm. game. But the uh, the yeah the arcade version did come out recently on Nintendo Switch uh, from Hamster, and as as with all the the arcade archives, a very nice conversion. So if you've ever wanted to play Mario Brothers and not the bowdlerized NES version, mm-hmm. that is the way to do it. It's like eight bucks. So it's a pretty good price, in my opinion. Eight bucks. Eight. Eight, uh-huh. eight human dollars. Mm. I probably spent uh, $30 on Mario Brothers in my lifetime. So I mean, yeah, like I could, I could easily pump $8 worth of quarters into Mario Brothers over the course of, you know, a few conventions. There's another one on this list that I'd, I'd pay the $8 for more, so. Okay. Unlike, unlike Pac-Man, I can get pretty far in Mario Brothers on one quarter, like at least four or five stages. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's extremely fair for a game of this era. I agree. Yeah, so I mentioned Donkey Kong 3 Daigyakushu earlier, one of those games developed by Hudson as a sequel to a Nintendo release for Japanese personal computers. And we have a few of those to talk about, including a direct follow-up to Mario Brothers called Punchball Mario Brothers, which is Mario Brothers, but with this one weird added mechanic. Ray, do you want to talk about this one? Because I feel like I, this is very much in your wheelhouse. Uh, is it? Uh, just like I haven't actually knowledge of of esoteric Hudson games. Well, I mean, you pretty much explained it as much as it needs to be, I think. Uh, The only thing about this game is that instead of, well, adding to it, they just add a projectile weapon called a punch ball, which it doesn't – which you might think might bounce around like it does in Super Mario Land, but it doesn't kind of. It just kind of – Flops in front of Mario, and it's just used as a weapon to kind of hit the enemy. It's like a bocce ball or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Well, it's interesting because it's a persistent element. It doesn't go away. Like you use it, and it's permanently there in the stage. And Mario has one, and if you play two player, Luigi has one. And you pick it up and kick it, and it like flies forward a little ways and flips over an enemy. So it's it's almost a little bit like. Uh, you know, the mechanic that would be introduced with Super Mario Brothers 3 where you could pick up turtle shells, um, which is kind of weird. Like, 
now that I think about it, um, like this this sort of, hey, here's a crazy new element that, that's totally surprising in Super Mario Brothers 3, but Hudson kind of did it in this weird spinoff in 1984 that, that you know, only people who owned uh, 8801 or X1 or whatever ever played yeah. and experienced. I'm watching footage of this right now, and instead of uh, the enemies flying off the screen when you kick them, they explode. <laughs> that's a pretty good addition. I think a lot of it, yeah, I think they were just trying to, like, uh, work within limitations because obviously those computers were more limited oh, yeah. as, as far as game capabilities as the Famicom was. So they just tried to tweak things a bit to make it work. Yeah. So I, I haven't I think, played this game myself, not owning an 8801 or Xbox. No? What? Uh, yeah. It's funny. Come on. <laughs> All but this I, Patreon I'm, money. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, uh, can you flip over enemies in this one by punching underneath them or is the mechanic strictly the ball? Do you know? Uh, I don't really remember. Yeah, I, I, think I, I, I tried to find information on that. I, I watched a bunch of videos and all I ever see is people yeah. like, throwing yeah. the ball and I tried reading about it and all the, none of the which uh, is like, why I entries say, on it or reviews of it yeah, say. Which is why I say what I do because mm-hmm. they probably – let's see. Uh, you know, there's limited limited animation, limited graphics in general. So they just had things where like, oh, you just – the enemies just explode. We can't like have them fly or off or anything. That would be too much – too expensive right. on the old, the old processor. Right. Not just be a sad corpse flopping off something. <laughs> I, I mean, so many people made bad ports of Mario Brothers that I'm, I, I kind of impressed. They just like added an extra mechanic to it to explain the limitations that it couldn't be as good as an arcade version. So they just added a new concept to it. Though I can't yeah. see a Nintendo being cool with that with most developers, but. Yeah, Hudson, they're they're usually pretty cool with Hudson. Uh, yeah, yeah I'll, I want to talk about that when we get to Super Mario Brothers Special. But I, I have some some thoughts on why we see these games. Yeah, I'm really mm-hmm. curious about that. Um, but we'll talk about that later. First, we need to talk about Mario's other job, Demolition Man, <laughs> with Wrecking Crew. Wrecking Crew is is kind of an interesting game in a lot of ways because it's the last Mario outing before Super Mario Brothers. So that was the game that really defined like this is Mario. This is his universe. This is everything that's around him and everything that he's about. And it was not made by Shigeru Miyamoto and his EAD4 team. It was made by uh, – or R&D4. It was made by uh, Yoshio Sakamoto and Nintendo R&D1. So it's a little bit weird and uh, has its own kind of thing that it does. I I was, you know, as I was writing about it this morning, it occurred to me that it does feel kind of like an attempt to go back to some of the mechanics of the original Donkey Kong because it's very heavily based around ladders instead of jumping. And um, Mario has a hammer. But instead of using the hammer as necessarily a weapon to crush things, it's it's a permanent tool he uses. And you use it in sort of like a puzzle game and you're trying to clear out uh, 100 different levels of this terrible construction <laughs> site uh, of, of destructible objects. And uh, to clear a stage, you have to clear all the destructible objects on the stage while avoiding – Enemies and your rival, who is not Luigi, it is the dread Foreman Spike. He's got a beard. He's early Wario. He is, yes. I mean, he's Bluto. It's the closest to yeah. actual Bluto he's been bothered with his entire career. Yes, definitely. It's 
it's Mario's dark shadow who looks pretty much <laughs> like self. Mario. Yes, exactly. It's his persona. Wow. He, hasn't, he hasn't accepted him yet and tries to truly defeat him. <laughs> That's what the door is for. I like to think this game takes place after Donkey Kong in sort of like a post-apocalyptic sort of thing where Mario's civilization decides that they don't want any more guerrilla attacks, so they just knock down all infrastructure <laughs> to keep that, make sure it never happens again. That's great. Yeah. I love it. The nuke and pave approach. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so the way this game works is there are 100 stages and in each stage, like I said, you have to destroy all the destructible objects. So these construction sites are basically arranged in platforms uh, that scroll up one vertical screen. So it's two screens high for pretty much every stage. And uh, there are objects. Some of them take like one hit to smash. Some of them take four or five hits. Uh, and then there are indestructible objects that you can't destroy so you don't have to worry about them. And then there are these doors and Mario can't do anything himself with the doors. If you hit a door, there's a door there. It's open. OK. Uh, but the doors will close after a few seconds. If you happen to hit a door while the monsters that roam the stage, which are like wrenches and eggplants and stuff, of course it's an eggplant. <laughs> yeah. Of course. It's an R&D1 game. So of course it's an eggplant. <laughs> um, they will walk into the door and they go to the backside of the stage. And so there's like the foreground where Mario exists and then the background, which is where Foreman Spike lurks and also the enemies will go back there. If you if you send an enemy into the back, then it's basically out of play. It will still walk around and you can see it in the background, but it can't hurt Mario. So it's a it's an unusual mechanic. And if you if you hit a door and open it uh, while an enemy is in the background, it'll walk through the door back into the foreground. Foreman Spike never comes into the foreground that I can remember. Um, he's always lurking in the background and doesn't go through doors. And what he does is basically just tries to dick over Mario. Like he is the I, – I almost feel like this was meant to be a two-player game and it was just like too much, too complicated for them to handle. So he became like an AI-controlled second player uh, because he is basically like what you experience as the worst-case scenario when, when playing Mario Brothers with someone else. It's like <laughs> someone who hates you does everything within his power to screw you over. And that's, that's Foreman Spike. That's what he does. He, um, he will hit you from the background and it will knock Mario off his current platform and drop him to the bottom, which doesn't hurt you. But it can keep you from being able to finish the stage. Like if you uh, don't have a way to get back up like with ladders or whatever, some ladders are destructible, then you have no choice but to reset the level and start over. Ray has his own headcanon, but I have mine. And it is that Mario is a scab and the, <laughs> the workers are on strike and Spike is a union thug hired to rough him up. I see. <laughs> That's my headcanon. But I think it could work with uh, Ray's as well. <laughs> I, I'm actually surprised that um, you you put the villain in the role of the union here. I thought hey, you were I, very pro-union. I didn't make the game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm against say, this. He's saying that Nintendo is very anti-union and thus casting the union as the villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, That's I true. I see that. I, uh, I think it's very strange that at in 85, they were, at least in the Game & Watch sphere, they were calling things Mario's blank. And so it's just odd that this is not Mario's cement, uh, cement uh, Mario's Wrecking Crew. It's just Wrecking Crew. I mean, Mario's right there on the cover. You know he's in this. So it's just weird they took away that 
branding possibility from them, like from a just a sell a sell point issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very. I mean, Mario looks off to me in this. Uh, just his head is so weird. Like, he's, I think he's got like a hard hat on, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's an, he, he's off model here. Everything about this game is off model. It's a little odd. There mm-hmm. is a sequel that's a that's sort of like yes. a Poyo Poyo style game, which I is have kind tried of fun. Playing that and I do not understand the mechanics I, of it. I got into it one weird summer where I was playing a lot <laughs> of weird, weird ROMs. Summer. Wrecking Crew '98 is that the one you're talking right. about? Yeah, '98. Yeah. That's right. Um, but I think like Nintendo could dust off this idea and make a new puzzle game out of it. I feel mm-hmm. like there's a lot of um, unexplored territory with this idea. Yeah, I think the, the some of the puzzle mechanics need to be refined a little yeah. bit. Um, there are a lot of situations in which a game a level just becomes unwinnable. And I feel like if you have to quit by, like, sacrificing a life, that's not really an ideal puzzle game. No, I think you press select or something and it resets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, yeah. you, But you lose a life if you do that. Yeah, oh. that's, that's what I don't like. That's, I feel like, like a cardinal sin of puzzle games. Yeah, I feel, I, like, I feel like that one element, if they could figure out how to make that work better, it could be, it could be good. That's why I couldn't get into that Klonoa Game Boy Advance game. Oh, I do like those a lot, though. Um <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, Actually, could you could you explain what Wrecking Crew '98 to me? Because I every I've tried to play it like two or three times, and I just bounce off it. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. It's been a long time since I played it. Ray, wasn't it part of that Nintendo Power? Not the magazine, but the marketing campaign. What yeah, was this? It was, uh, it was a Teleview game, wasn't it? Not originally. No. I don't think no? so, no. Uh, it was like one of those convenience store uh, things they would burn onto a disc yeah, for you. Yeah, so technically it was a cart release. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's why it's 98. <laughs> but, uh, but man, uh, Foreman Spike is a lot hotter in the 98 game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Though he has a Wario nose, which again tells you it's, it's R&D. I've, I've never heard anyone express thirst for Foreman Spike before. Well, you're not in my corners of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but. Wrecking Crew 98 is like where the uh, levels of the, the, you know, the, levels of the, the game, um, they just sort of are – Turnable on a reel, sort of, and then, they're, mm-hmm. but they're all colored panels and doors instead instead of the usual. It's it's sort of like Yoshi's Cookie meets Poyo Poyo, and then yeah, you can move the rows, right. and you can also like break stuff in order to have things drop. It's yeah. actually it's very it's complex, but I feel like once you play a few rounds and kind of understand it, you can get into it. I I, I enjoyed it and again. I feel like they could trot this out and make something else out of it. I think it's that uh, I would blame this not coming back all that much to. The same reason, like any Mario game that wasn't under Miyamoto's uh, purview, doesn't get to returned to all that much. I think aesthetically, Wrecking Crew stuff appeared in Super Mario Maker just because it really fit with yeah. the, the construction aspect. But well, we didn't get the, like the little wrench dudes or whatever. Yeah, apparently, like plants. there there is a a sprite of Forbin Spike in Mario Maker with a mystery mushroom. I just found that out. But huh. other than that, it, and I mean, construction Mario on the cover of Mario Maker is that guy could star in a new Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is definitely like the Mar- Wrecking Crew 98 They should have called Mario. Super Mario Maker Making Crew. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh. and, of course, there's a Wrecking Crew thing in micro games and WarioWare at some point. But sure. that's, that's just because R&D 1 references every game they ever made, even, mm-hmm. even uh, pitching machines mm-hmm. in micro games. Mm-hmm. So the other notable thing about Wrecking Crew is that it was one of three programmable series NES games none of which really lived up to their potential in the U.S. because they were designed to take advantage of the Famicom data recorder, a cassette tape recorder that would plug into the Famicom basic keyboard and allow you to save programs. But you could also save Excitebike tracks, 
mock uh, rider tracks and wrecking crew courses with the data recorder in Japan. Boy, yeah. Uh, I have tried using that setup with NES games, and it just does not seem to work. It is so. It was so cruel of them to include the save option on those carts well, for I think, Americans. I think they intended to bring over some sort of solution mm. for that, and then you know, once it actually came over, they were like, "Eh." So yeah, if you try to load a, uh, a stage in uh, Wrecking Crew, you have to reset your system because it just hangs. I think saving does the same thing. Speak. Yeah. Uh, no, or, I think I think save it'll like. It sends data, and then once it's done, it'll be yeah. like, okay, you're done. But with, if, you, if you load, then it's waiting to hear like okay. the set data, and it just hangs forever. It's very sad. TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch more than 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all for free. No credit card needed and no sign up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices today. If you like this show, then you must check out The Adam Carolla Show every weekday on Podcast One. The Ace Man still holds the title of the number one downloaded podcast in the world as he complains about whatever's on his mind. With his celebrity pals like Dr. Drew Pinksy, Joe Coy, and many, many more. So don't miss it weekdays on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth, you will certainly send any text about your supervisor to your supervisor. What's with Janet's bangs? Did she lose a bet with a weed whacker? <laughs> LOL. And sent. Wait, no, 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 no. Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at Geico.com. Janet, I think my phone was hacked or something. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. So here we are at the main the main course, the main event, Super Mario Brothers 2, The Lost Levels, released in June 1986, a mere nine months after Super Mario Brothers. Uh, that's a very quick turnaround. The original Super Mario Brothers was famously designed as the ultimate expression of what you could do with cartridge-based technology. Like they, they really just – uh, made an incredibly efficient video game, uh, like some of the tricks that they used to get that much content, 32 stages and, you know, a dozen different enemies and all kinds of, you know, hidden bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, different environments. To get that onto a cart, they, they used all kinds of compression tricks and, and like, uh, you know, clouds as bushes and that sort of thing or bushes as clouds. I don't know, whatever. Um, they didn't have those limits with Super Mario Brothers 2, the Lost Levels. So it's a more visually diverse game and also a game that uh, exists to basically like <laughs> take you by the shoulder and then repeatedly <laughs> punch you in the face. Yeah. It's, it's the first it's uh, Masso Super Mario Core. Brothers for super players. Mm-hmm. This is the first Masso Core games that we call these games <laughs> where it's like yeah. – 
I I think this style of game, the style of sequel, was actually pretty common, especially in arcades mm. at the time. You would get like you know. Space Invaders or Zevius or whatever that was just – it's the same game but it's way harder now. I I think it came from back then when there were fewer games around. They could count on that everyone had played Super Mario Brothers to death, that they, they all needed an extra challenge. You could release a game that would finally kick you in the butt after <laughs> that. Well, and also this game came out for Famicom Disk System, which means it had the ability to save your progress. So they could afford oh, yeah. to like – you know, punch you in the face repeatedly because you didn't have to go back as far when you lost. I'm curious. Do you know how often it would save as after every world maybe or I'm just curious how much you'd have to uh, you know, replay? I, I haven't played that much of this on disk system. I've mostly played on virtual console. So, Ray, is that something you could answer? I don't know definitively. I don't okay. remember. So, sorry, sure. people yeah. expecting expert opinions <laughs> here. We don't have them. Uh, but, yeah, this is a, like a super, super difficult game. Um, sometimes it's difficult in a way where I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It feels a little, feels a little cruel. Um, well, yeah, we a lot of it is, you know, poison like, mushroom at the very start of the game. And no, I think that's fine because you like that. I'm totally okay with that because you lose like five seconds of progress if you die to that. Mm. And what it does is it teaches you like, oh crap, I can't count on anything that yeah. I relied on before. Right. Like all the power-ups were my friends before. Mm-hmm. This little mushroom guy, he is not my friend. I have to avoid this one. I think the win stages cross the line for me and I can't forgive them. Uh, so yeah, Ray actually <laughs> linked to a uh, comment on Reddit when I in, in the notes. I said, uh, this game never came to the U.S., or at least not until many years later in a different form because it was supposedly deemed too difficult, but citation needed. And Ray, being awesome, cited uh, – I say it how you should, citation. And that was a Reddit Ask Me Anything with Howard Phillips who uh, played a role in you know, giving – like saying, hey, this, this game – he advised basically like this is a good U.S. release. This is not. He's like the key source on all this stuff because nobody else is talking. I guess he did not sign an NDA, which is pretty yeah. – no, thank I just, you. I just think nobody else would remember as, as well as he would. Right. I mean he was kind of like a kid who was like super excited mm-hmm. to be playing all Nintendo games and, and offering a well, insight. Yeah. This was Not above a kid, Howard Lincoln. A young man. Yeah. It was above Howard Lincoln's pay grade to know this. He was also like yeah. assembling arcade cabinets and <laughs> doing everything. Yeah. He he had like the dream job in nineteen eighty six. Mm-hmm. So until um, it turned into a nightmare and then he went to LucasArts, but like it but he's 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 a funny he's a nice guy. He seems like a nice seems, old man. I mean he wears man. like a bow tie. I trust anyone who He dresses like vacation dad all the time. <laughs> I actually saw him do a great presentation at the Classic Gaming Expo in 2012. I went there for one up, I believe, and um, he said something which I feel is a highly dubious claim, and that he finished every NES game up to a certain point in time. And I'm like, every game? <laughs> I I I don't know. I, maybe he's that good. Hmm. Look, if your grandpa says he had to walk through the snow ten miles to True. go. To- School, you're not going to question grandpa. Those like, are his version of war stories. Yeah, like, yeah I, I cut him a little slack there. I, I found another quote of him saying that like he he thinks Miyamoto was maybe just depressed during the making of this game. Oh, yeah, like, I, so the AMA, the AMA goes oh, yeah. into it. Um, he was – Jeremy, what's that? I was waiting for you to continue. Oh, I don't remember what I was saying because everyone else uh, talked and I've lost track. Talk of about the Reddit in which he uh, – it was it was found that he actually did think it was too hard or something? Uh, someone said it was too hard. Like the wind specifically mm. – um, actually, no, that was a comment that someone made. Like 
it, it seems very arbitrary, but it's not. There's like set points in the stage at which the wind will change direction. Yeah. So it is, you know, it is manageable. Like everything in this game, if you take the time to figure it out and, and understand how it works, it is manageable. It's just a game that throws a lot of stuff at you that shouldn't work. Like, you know, uh, squid flying through the sky and that sort of thing. Yeah. I uh, never played the uh, Famicom version. Does the Famicom version give you any sort of indication, visual or audio, in terms of the fact that there's wind? Or is it just there? Uh, it's pretty much just there. Yeah. yeah the, um, the Lost Levels, I believe there's like leaves that fly by. Oh, no, so there's know. leaves. I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, there's no, still leaves. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I was thinking audio only. Uh, I was yeah, curious. No, 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 yeah, it definitely has the leaves. Uh, yeah, At least they give you that. Yeah, so. I didn't I, get far enough to get to the win. I, I played the <laughs> NES... Well, I guess Famicom uh, Mario 2 when they put it out on the Wii, but I didn't get to the win. I didn't play long enough to get to the win. I was like, fuck this after like two two stages. I I remember that uh, when Nintendo Power was covering Super Mario Mario All-Stars, the contest was finish level D of this game and take a picture of the screen. Like that is the challenge Mm -hmm. and there was a big prize for that. Yeah. Yeah, so according to Howard Phillips, 40 days ago, this was recent, huh? Um, Mario 2 was deemed too hard for American audiences. I believe so. Ultimately, Mr. Arakawa and I decided, but I lobbied hard that the game had some sucky bits in it. Unpredictable and so unavoidable kills like the wind gusts on jumps is not good design in my Mm. humble opinion. I'll tell you what they did. One thing they improved in this game is the the Princess uh, Peach Sprite. It yeah. is. It is much better. She looks yes, like a human. Um, and and yet, that's not the one that Nintendo keeps going back to. And they they make retro references. They always go to like the <laughs> horrifying, misshapen Super Mario Brothers one sprite. I will say it's still not good, but it's not like what am I looking at? Some kind of Cubist nightmare that right. the first peaches. <laughs> so so I'm sure the difficulty did factor into the decision not to bring this game over. But I also think the timing just didn't make sense. Um, you know, the NES. This game launched in Japan in June 1986. That was right around the time the NES really went uh, national in in the U.S. And so, you know, over the next year and a half or so, that was the NES kind of trickling into homes and people were still just picking up Super Mario Brothers for the first time. So why bring over this sequel when people are still buying the first game? It ended up being one of the greatest, you know, best-selling games of all time. So, you know, once the NES had gained traction, Say the end of 1987, 88. I think we talked about this on the Mario 2 episode. Yeah, um, yeah like Super Mario Brothers 2 Lost Levels was not that impressive looking. And I think Nintendo wanted to put its best foot forward. So it brought over a better looking and you know more fair, more, uh, more congenial game. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this one just lost out to the, the, the slow localization uh, of, of the NES into America. Yeah, it would have just been redundant on the shelves too. I, I would bet – uh, you know that I would. I wouldn't be surprised if that also informed Arakawa's choice for Nintendo America not to bring it over. Also, it was released for a peripheral that didn't exist in the U.S., mm, which is yeah. kind of an impediment. And we did get Disk System games starting yeah. in like late '87 with Metroid, Zelda. Like that was summer '87. Yeah, so, but those games had a lot more put into them. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Super Mario Brothers Two is essentially an expansion pack, and right. that was for you know discs were much cheaper than carts. So right. if they had sold this in America for like you know whatever forty fifty dollars, yeah, whatever, yeah, probably wouldn't have been exactly the same yeah. kind of uh, sensation that the Mario USA would have been. But Ray, why why are you a fan of this game? What what is it about it that what, you, you, you like crazy? so much? <laughs> <laughs> Be nice. <laughs> That's fair. Um, 
No, I th- I'm just mostly confused to why people just sort of go to default that it's bad. Um, you know, the sort of narrative that actually it's bad. Uh, but I think people just don't understand the couple of contexts that were surrounding it. I think the first thing is a historical context, mm-hmm. which is, you know, as we already mentioned sort of already that, you know, arcade games were sort of changing how video games were thought of in Japan at least and especially in 83, 84 in the middle of the Famicom boom. So you had games coming out in the arcades like Tower of Juraga and Pac-Land, which had a little bit more depth to them, a little bit more length. And Draga especially had, you know, lots of tricks and secrets mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, that was that was a social experience. Right so, there. yeah, as you had these arcade games slowly evolving, that sort of starts to dovetail into the home market and you have the home developers realizing that, oh, we don't have to just make arcade ports. We don't have to just make these games that are sort of just like uh, uh, escalating repetition basically. We can add some stuff to it. Um, but then they also took the lesson that you know there should be some secrets and trickery to it. And then Nintendo releases the first Super Mario Brothers and that's like a flashpoint of not just how people are releasing and designing the games after that but also this flashpoint of you have all these players in this entire country trading mysteries with each other. Mm. And so I think – after that, you start to see the progression of Mario clones and so on and so on and so forth and a lot of games that basically have mystery in their title <laughs> coming out from uh. Famicom, uh, you know, uh, Mystery of Atlantis and like Super Xevious, the Mystery of Gamp or whatever. Um, and these games with lots mystery of – Mystery of Murasame Joe. Yeah, uh, Mile and Secret Castle. Yep. Things like with a lot of uh, literally hidden stuff in it that you'd probably have to buy the strategy guy for. Uh, so then – we have Super Mario Brothers 2 coming out at what I pretty much think is the zenith of this trend in the Famicom world mm. where you have a game that is built upon more secrets and trickery. And like Jeremy said, it is the secondary title of it is Super Mario Brothers for Super Players. So you have Nintendo making this game essentially as a gift for all these kids who are – who have obsessed over Mario 1 for like the past year basically and just – giving them more to it and also giving a gift, I guess, to the book publishers to have more source mm-hmm. material to make things for. And also it was, a, a, I think, a good sales pitch for the disc system. Like, hey, yeah. there's this peripheral and yeah, you can play Zelda, which you've never heard of before. Yeah, there's a new but Mario game. There's a new Mario game. It's totally new. It's right, not yeah. just the same game. It's a system seller, yeah. I feel so, like... Oh, no, I'm good. I feel like no. I agree with Ray in that uh, we were not we were not given the proper we were not given this game in the proper context to appreciate to appreciate its design philosophy. And I think this really shows just how much uh, context will inform the evaluation of a game, like uh, both like the cultural experience surrounding it and the history behind it and everything like that. Yeah. I feel like it just shows you can't you can't evaluate a game in a vacuum. So many things affect the evaluation of a game. <laughs> I I completely disagree. You should only objectively <laughs> review games and uh, just be blindfolded to everything else about it. That's one way to feel. <laughs> Listen, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I can't. I'm joking. We all know Henry's I kidding. Kid. Okay, it's okay. Henry. <laughs> we're, all, uh, we're all wounded in this room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. For being in the game's press. Exactly. For not being expert enough. Um, <laughs> that's my first point, though. My second point is just regarding the game itself in that I think people complain too much about elements of Super Mario Bros. 2 that have now been used – or seen or referenced in Mario games in the 30 years since. Mm. We have, you know, even in Mario 3, there's very difficult levels. World 7, World 8. In Super Mario World, there's the Star Road in the special stage. 
special stages, which are this, you know, this briefcase full of levels that are like, you know, just extra challenges for you. And in fact, one of them spells out in coins, you are a super player. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's calling back to Super Mario Bros. 2. Then we have, you know, um, the Mario Sunshine block levels and Super Mario Galaxy 2, which again is a whole game full of challenging levels that builds upon the first game, which may not be as challenging. Right. Um, and then after that, also, you know, Mario Odyssey and so on and so forth, up to Mario Maker. Which is again headed by Tezuka, much like Mario Super Mario Bros. Two was, and it's just like now the guy who probably has the most intuitive knowledge of how to make a Mario level is making is letting you make them. Hmm. And guess what? All you're doing is making a bunch of hard ass levels. That's true for your <laughs> for you and your hardcore buddies. That's not what their dream was with Mario Maker, but it's yeah. just how it turned out. Yeah, I mean, with Mario Maker, unless you were given levels uh, that were curated, it was either something a child made in like three minutes or a, a, a level designed to like sh- just shove bamboo under your fingernails. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's this duality of well, you know, I like having uh, I like having a good Mario game with lots of challenging levels, but not if it's too mean, like Super Mario Bros. A lot of levels. I mean, uh, well, I, I think I think so you know one one sort of. Um, point to balance that out is that the the games you cited, almost all of them, build up to that level of challenge, whereas Super Mario Bros. 2 Lost Levels is balls hard from the very start. <laughs> like, you kick off the game and you're like, wow, I just got shredded. What the hell? Yeah, uh, whereas it, the other games, you know, you're talking about like World 7 and 8 of Super Mario Bros. 3 or the Star Road of Super Mario World. Like, yeah. you build up to that. This game yeah. is just like, you know, it's it's full throttle from the start. It reminds me too of like Super Meat Boy. If you started chess with the Dark World and Super Meat oh, yeah. Boy, like that, that was World One of it. It's uh, yeah, I yeah. I can't. It's it's tough for me when looking back on Mario to like I can't I can't separate my feelings from it at the time I experienced it, which was the All Stars version. And when I played that, I was like. I don't like this. This makes me unhappy playing it. And maybe it too was it. I think maybe a thing that hurt it in my subjective viewing of it at the time was I was playing two other games, no, sorry, three other games that I was feeling immense nostalgia for already as like a 10 year old, which why, or 12 year old, which is weird to think I'm that feeling is, nostalgia for. I felt something. the same way. But, but then I'm playing that and I'm like, well, I love this because I always love this. And then I am playing Lost Levels. I'm like, this is not familiar and it's hard. This is the worst. Like that, that was uh, probably what's as darkened my memories of that from the beginning. Well, I was delighted with it from the beginning because it's like, well, first of all, I always wanted to see what Mario 2 was, the other Mario 2, and just like, well, you know, as I'm playing it, it's like, well, I've seen everything that the first game can do, but here's something that is basically like expanding my mind of what we can do with the level design of this. So, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit that way. I think also like, there is a progression to it, to what Jeremy said. I just think that the base level is a bit higher than some of the other games. That, um, yeah, yeah I, I, that's valid as well. Honestly, I really feel that if this game took a few worlds to sort of build up to uh, crush you and destroy your self-esteem and happiness, mm-hmm. people would feel a lot more kindly disposed to it. But because it's just like you suck at the very – like from the very start, like it, it's just gloves off, I think – People bounce off of it really quickly, and I, I think that, I mean I think there is a escalation. It doesn't just plateau from the first world. No, but, but it starts out. Like, I can, it, it doesn't take long that's to true. just be like, wow. What? I think I can at least beat the first world, and then I'm just uh, I'm just I, I just give up. Yeah, I mean it does it does some really cruel things. Like um, I wrote it down in the notes for the last episode and didn't bring them over, but. 
You know, there there is one stage that has multiple warp zones in it, and none of them are good warp zones. All of them are bad. Um, like they will take you back to the beginning of the game, and um, yeah, there's like if you get into them. Okay, so the, one of them is midway through a stage, and you think, oh, it's just going to be like a normal coin room, but then it is actually a warp zone back to the beginning of the game. So if you if you know about that, then you're like, okay, I can't go down into what seems like a normal coin room because it's not. It's a trap. And then you go to the end of the stage and you're like, oh, wait, this is really interesting. This this flagpole here is actually really close to the final uh, to the final staircase. I could jump over it. What would happen? Well, what happens is you go to another warp room that takes you back to the beginning of the wow. stage <laughs> or the beginning of the game. So I love like, that one. Every, every, every time you try to use these tricks – that you learn in the first game, it's like bad and it slaps you on the wrist. I love that reverse warp zone in its cruelty because it also gives you a choice of like, well, you don't have to go down this. You can also kill yourself. Just kill here. yourself yeah. right yeah. now and start over yeah. this what, what a great lesson. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's – I'm, I'm actually not – I don't know. I've come around on this game and I, I sort of respect what it does. Uh, but I have to admit that what it does is is really, really – like sometimes it is just – you think, okay, well, I've I've avoided one trap, so now I'm safe. But no, no, you're not. You got complacent, and now that that was your mistake. You screwed up. Yeah, mm. I think it's all about subverting our expectations. And I think again, we go back to it was made for a software climate that was, <laughs> yeah, designed to challenge these uh, hardcore kids who had basically seen it all up to that point and just wanted something more. So, so. I, I would say that the game that maybe best embodies the spirit of the Lost Levels in, in kind of like taking your familiarity with the classic game that you love and flipping it on its ear and does it better is Mega Man 9. Like Mega Man 9, that whole game is designed around like, hey, all these comfort comfortable play patterns you got into with Mega Man 2 and 3. No, you can't do that anymore. You are it's, right. It's I do bad, think Mega bad, Man 9 bad is, idea. I do think that game is way too hard. Oh, I, I love it though. Like I, I do like because it, yeah. I, I guess you know because I have so much love for Mega yeah. Man Two. Like going into a game that's just like, oh, you know Mega Man Two, huh? Well, that's your problem. You should not. <laughs> you should not be such a fan of Mega Man Two because it's, it's going to be your doom. <laughs> I yeah. forgot. You're not allowed to say you think a game is too hard on a, on a podcast. But no, it's I think good. those are weakness. It, it gets really hard at the end. Right? It, yeah, I, absolutely. I, but, I couldn't beat the Wily stages. But there are some really clever moments in that game where I'm just like, oh, you got me, you assholes. You knew what I was right. going to do there, and mm-hmm. you got me. And that's what this game does. And I think playing Mega Man 9 uh, helped me come around on this and be like, okay, I get what they're doing. Yeah. I still don't like it all that much. I don't think it's that fun for me personally. But wow, I didn't know I this. don't think – what's that? Shocking revelations. <laughs> that I don't think Super Mario Brothers 2. Oh, I thought you were Mega Man 9. Oh, no, no. Okay. I think Mega Man 9 is amazing. I love <laughs> okay, it. Okay. I thought I was going crazy No, no, no. Uh, I'm saying Super Mario Lo- Lo- uh, Lost Levels. I don't really personally enjoy it that much. But I do think it is a good and interesting and clever game. <laughs> I think they reacted strongly to this too on development side of like, oh, these they, – they then made – Mario 3 is so much more inviting than even the first Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Like it seems it's it, – they definitely declawed themselves a lot after this game. Well, again, I mean I think also I would say despite everything I said, I think putting a 2 on the on the title was a mistake mm-hmm. because they should have just called it Super Mario Brothers for super players and treated it more as uh, an expansion pack essentially right. and just made it like this cheap disc that you can get with more Mario levels. Mm-hmm. I think putting a 2 on it would just kind of – 
twisted things in the future as we in America would learn about it and be like, oh, there's another Mario 2. Oh, but they thought it was too hard. Oh, but – and so on and so forth. So I think maybe that's also a key thing behind sort of the narrative that's cropped up in recent years. Um, and yeah, I don't think Miyamoto was depressed because Miyamoto wasn't really involved with it. Yeah, I that, – that's a weird narrative and uh, – Hey, I'm I, just quoting I, Howard Phillips, guys. Was, I, yeah, well, he, did he say like, that? That was I, a quote of Howard Phillips I, I saw on the I'm sure he was just, joking, but people were like, oh, Howard would know. Yeah. Yeah, he Miyamoto was, he was, was tight. He, yeah. and, he and Miyamoto were best I think, buds. Yeah. I think part of this game also just got ET'd, like, in mm, the same way. Yeah. That yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. He got really uh, here, I'll read the, the whole quote here. Uh, this is an oh, interview he profound. did. Uh, right when the game came out on the virtual console in 2007. Uh, classically on Miyamoto in that there were random and out – in that it's random and out of the player's controls. Maybe Miyamoto was depressed at the time he made Mario 2, end quote. No. I felt like that could have been said in jest. Yes, and we're, not, yeah. we're, not getting the, um, we're not getting the intonation there. Yeah, it, it, I, it probably just came through a text, but – that's – hey, I'm, I'm believing in a structured headline from 2007. <laughs> Why not? Uh, hmm. I'd be careful there. Uh, either way, it's inaccurate. So what haven't we talked about with Samurai Brothers to the Lost Levels? Uh, we haven't talked about the bonus stages at the end of the game where uh, there's a whole lot of extra levels. The, the game is 32 levels long, 32 grueling, punishingly uh, cruel levels. And then there's a whole bunch of bonus levels that are actually much crueler. <laughs> um, and I am not going to lie. I have not played those levels because I am not good enough. I am not a super player. So, Ray, can you walk us through what all that post-game stuff is about? Yes, <laughs> sort of. Well, I've only genuinely played through them all at least once in earnest. That's once more than I have. Yeah. Uh, and it was some years ago. But, yeah, there's... A secret world nine, and then a secret oh, yeah. world A, then B, then C, then D. <laughs> so you and get, each of those have four stages apiece? Is, yes. And so, so that's 20 extra stages. And do yeah. you access those just by finishing the game? Uh, you finish the game eight times in a row. Oh, cool. Originally on yeah. the disk system, and Holy. then you can access those. <laughs> Uh, those are tallied by the stars on the title screen. Okay, wait. You, you don't have to beat it like eight times in one sitting though, right? It's 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 a cumulative thing that saves on the disc system. Oh, God. Now correct? you're really challenging me. I don't remember. I, that's got to be. Like it I can't can. imagine. It can't be that mean. 32, no. 32 stages eight times through. I'm buying this suppression theory now. <laughs> no, I, 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 it's got to be one of those like – each time you beat the game, you like you know, it, it gives you an extra star on the well, save screen. Well, the one the one thing is that if you do use forward warps, it's okay. So if you do warp at some, there's forward warps, not just backward ones. Yeah. Wow. So um, you know, they 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 grant you that. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I, I don't know what to say really about the levels of content themselves. It's just that's more of the same sort of punishment and just some of that. Yeah, I mean, some of the, they do start breaking more rules in terms of like you know putting Bowser out in the daytime just in the middle of a thing. And <laughs> sure, of course. Uh, so it really does turn into Mario Maker. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's All exactly right. what I'm talking about when people are like, well, but you have to complain. You have to beat these levels. Um, uh, all the way through on a single playthrough, right? Like you don't get to yeah, and yeah, continue without warping to really genuinely get mm. through them all. Wow! So not just in these levels, but in this game as a whole, do they put any extra spice on the Bowser fights? I wasn't sure about that. No, I think it pr- they pretty much. No, I think Bowser's limited to just throwing more hammers. Okay, but and there's it. like a blue Bowser and a green Bowser that some people are convinced are different characters or something. <laughs> oh, that sure. Was, that was okay. like a weird rabbit hole I'll that I discovered ahead. while researching for this. Yeah, I'll just read the wiki on that. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's different colors. The foreman no. Spike of Bowser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bowser's foreman. <laughs> uh, he works for him. They work together. <laughs> so not, not just in the post-game stages, but there are there any levels that particularly stand out to you that you think, oh, yeah, this one was really great or this one was really clever? Like... Uh, things that that you really stuck with you and and made you love the game. I mean, I did mention the, the sort of Bowser in the middle of the daytime stage mm-hmm. before. I mean, that that's kind of a really that's one that jumps out at you. Sort of. Um, I don't think any of the later ones really stuck out to me. I just sort of like some of the the uh, the main game levels, the ones that like <laughs> if you go too forward, if you scroll the screen too forward. Uh, you you basically screwed because you can't right. jump up to a rear yeah. invisible block mm. and get <laughs> I've done that one too. Yeah, just classic ones like that. That. That's, that happens right around the same time as the backward warp stages. So yeah. um, so I, I feel like that's where the game really takes off its glove and is like you're actually not getting any further than yeah. this. If I can remember, like some of the characteristics of nine through D are just kind of a little bit less puzzly and just more like endurance mm. challenges basically. Oh, you know another thing that I didn't like about it was <laughs> okay. uh, that I was just looking this up to confirm it was like yeah they they use they use they reuse enemies in different ways like the bloopers outside of water but there's no new enemies in it. Like they didn't make even just one new enemy sprite in it. It's just that's that, – lazy is not the right word. They're but working too just, hard on that Princess Peach makeover. Yeah, exactly. But they couldn't – it, it again just felt uh, more expansion packy of just like, well, we have these assets and we're going to remix them in this way instead of developing a new enemy for that world. Even just one. Just one. They put smiley faces on different things too. I mean, game. they cuted everything is everything is happier, which that, is weird that is because funny, yeah. the player's not happier. So it's like there's a certain level of sadism baked into the universe here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I guess my argument to that would be just like, well, again, they are just like working with what they've already established mm-hmm. and just giving people more of the same the same set of tools, but just sort of tweaking things in different. Right. Ways. Well, they they did tweak all the background graphics. Yeah, like, there's more depth to the visuals. There's, yeah, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of the tile graphics are changed and improved. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's the the the, the red piranha plants. That's technically a new enemy. Ah. <laughs> so they, I stand corrected. Yeah, they're the ones who don't uh, hide in their pipes if you're close to the pipes. Yeah, uh, yeah, I thought so. They'll walk off the edge of a pipe when they come to. <laughs> well, and Ouija does play a little differently in this one. Oh, that's right? true. Yeah, we yeah. didn't talk about that. Ouija. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not two player, so it's a singular challenge for a single super player who wants <laughs> to either try traditional Mario physics or Luigi's special brand of physics. <laughs> They're a little yeah, bit more slidey. Mm. Speaking of ice physics. 
Yeah. yeah, so what is different about Luigi here? He jumps a little higher. He's a little floatier. Yeah, and a little bit slidier. So, mm. yeah. Basically, looser. He's a bit, he's a bit loosey-goosey. <laughs> kind of similar to how he plays in USA than, I guess. Similar, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in, yeah, in as much as the fact that, yeah, we want to establish Luigi as a different mm. character. With Light in the loafers, to say. No. <laughs> is that true? Mm. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, Howard Phillips, everybody, he said. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we, we mentioned that this did not come to the U.S. on NES. It didn't? <laughs> uh, but it did come to America in the form of Super Mario Brothers All-Stars, which, of course, does make some changes, not just to the visuals, but to the physics of how the games work. Yeah. Um, but it kept all, like, the, the bonus stages and everything, right? Yeah. Okay. And then it also came in a more unexpurgated form uh, on Game Boy Color in Super Mario Brothers Deluxe. Forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. can't play that right from the beginning. You have to unlock it mm-hmm. by getting a certain score like 240,000 or something in Super Mario Brothers. That's the right way to do it, I think. Like that presentationally, I think that's the best way of handling it because then you know a person has finished Super Mario Brothers to the extent that they They've earned their badge of like, okay, you've, you're, you're certified as this good enough of a player. Here's the new stuff. This, yeah. is, this is for super duper ultra players because of how zoomed in the mm-hmm. screen is. Though. Yeah, this is, yeah. yeah. One, of my, one of my recurring complaints on Game Boy Works is uh, when Game Boy games try to use NES graphics directly and you lose a lot of exterior screen information and things become much harder. I, I played through the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, Mario Deluxe is – was important to me for, to begin with, but <laughs> yeah. In, in what sense? Um, I just you know it was it was a purely nostalgic thing of just like having a key game to me at the beginning, the original Super Mario Brothers, mm. and just like having that in a portable form was mm-hmm. like super duper novel to me. And I just and now with a world map, uh, yeah, um, and red oh, coins. Man, but I would map, say yeah. the. The super players levels are a bit of a letdown just because they didn't they didn't use the new graphics. It's they didn't that that was the biggest letdown to me is that they just couldn't I guess find extra space to add the change to graphics. Oh really? I didn't realize that. Yeah, so it's, it's the it's same the original, old, it's the original Story Brothers one graphics. Yeah, huh. and no extra bells or whistles in that way. Interesting. But, but it did add red coins. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what does the, do the lost levels uh, or the Mario Two J levels have red coins in them too? I in this don't. version, I don't remember. Because that would be that would be hell. <laughs> okay, you got me. I I don't know the answer on that one. Boy, uh, I <laughs> I didn't think about that. It's, it's not just, important, but I just uh, I imagine... remember red coins, and I don't remember where I remember the red red coins from. <laughs> They're not necessary, but having a zoomed in screen and that red extra red coin objective would make this like the ultimate exercise in Mario uh, expertise. Like in someone playing this and getting through it. I remember collecting all the red coins. I just don't remember if they were all in the lost levels. Right. <sighs> Sorry about that, folks. We're we're lame. Well, we can always edit it out. Yeah. Try yeah. it. So we didn't get Super Mario Brothers, the Lost Levels, in America on NES, but we did kind of get little bits and pieces of it in the arcade. For those who uh, happened to come across versus Super Mario Brothers in the arcades back in 1986, 87, 
may not have realized it, but they were playing little bits and pieces of Mario 2. Um, so Super Mario Brothers or versus Super Mario Brothers came out as part of the versus series that Nintendo created for like you know uh, arcade counterparts with with some upgrades to its uh, Famicom and NES games. And in the case of versus Super Mario Brothers, instead of adding new mechanics and that sort of thing, what they did was they tweaked the arrangement of um, the NES game. So they took out some of the easier stages and pushed some of the harder stages forward in the game. So, you know, games uh, stages like Worlds 2-2 and 2-3 are basically repeated later mm-hmm. in the game, 7-2 and 7-3, but with more enemies, more challenges. So what they did was they took out a bunch of those early stages uh, that were kind of toothless and easy and they pushed the harder versions of them forward. And then in those slots where you, know, you suddenly had level spaces freed up, they took some stages from Super Mario Bros. 2, yeah. which was available in Japan at the, around the same time wow. and uh, mixed those in. So versus Super Mario Bros. is this kind of weird – not a not a not a remix. I guess it's a remix, but it's not like a remix. <laughs> it's not like a it's not like a, a half and half game. It's mostly Super Mario Brothers, but there are these stages from the other game in there. So it's a it's a really interesting uh, kind of halfway rendition of of, of the game. That, well, because they got to get more quarters out of you, right? Like the, if they take it too easy on you, you're you're playing too long without the quarters. I I did play this one uh, because my local. Applebee's had it, and so and then we'd go out for a family dinner at Old Applebee's. <laughs> I, I played it a couple times and was just in shock of like, well, wait, the thing I always do in one one isn't here. Right. Where what's it? It felt like like a finger was missing or something. Yeah, yeah. well, I I thought that was a me problem. Mm, uh, I was nope. like, this game is way harder than the the Mario I've played <laughs> at my friend's house, and like he showed me all these tricks, and none of them seem to work, and I don't understand. But yeah, it takes out. A lot of the invisible mushrooms. It takes out all the or the the, the one up mushrooms. Um, it takes out a lot of the power ups. It takes out the ability to do the minus world. It takes out the ability to do the infinite lives trick with the turtle in three one. Like it just changes a lot of things to make it harder. Uh, the countdown has been shortened um, in most stages. It's just like you know the arcade version of Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers was a game created for home consoles, so it it does go kind of easy on on players. It's challenging, but it's manageable. Whereas, you know, arcade games around the same time, stuff like Ghost and Goblins, where it was just like, okay, you have you've had your three minutes. Now give us another mm-hmm. quarter, and that's the philosophy that they infused into versus Super Mario Brothers. I played a bit of this at my local arcade growing up, and it did feel weird. I think I really ultimately could not get over playing this game with a joystick because of how comfortable it felt to Especially just hold the- in. The, the stubby Nintendo thing. joysticks yeah. that they had on their cabinets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I would notice a lot of things like, oh, instead of uh, the tinier tweaks were like, oh, instead of a Koopa here, instead of a Goomba here, it's a Koopa. Instead of a Koopa, it's a Buzzy Beetle. It, they would just like put the harder enemies in instead of uh, the easier ones. Yeah, it's kind of like the second uh, second playthrough of Super Mario Brothers after mm-hmm. you beat the uh, the you know Bowser and eight four the first time. You can play it again, and like Buzzy Beetles have been have, have replaced Goombas and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's a little. It feels a little bit like that. It's not quite that, yeah. that extreme, but I had no idea though that they added in two uh, J levels to this game because I only played like the first three levels of Versus Super Mario Brothers. And I assumed <laughs> right. it was all just like swapped around <laughs> enemies. 
No, there, there are some substantial changes and, and additions, and uh, everyone can play it for themselves All uh, right. very easily now because the game is on Switch Arcade Archives yeah. thanks to Hamster. And it is one of the top-selling eShop games, but I don't think people really know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? Yeah. I think that's really smart of Nintendo that they, they know – well, maybe they just stumbled into this, but – they can rest assured that when Super Mario Brothers for real comes to the Switch, <laughs> that will title. sell quite a lot. So why not give people a weird-ass version of it first to then sell all of those copies, uh, sell shitload of those for people who are jonesing for Mario? Yeah. And um, I am not going to commit myself to this game fully until Hori's uh, Ursat's Joy-Con, left Joy-Con <laughs> comes out where I can play with a proper D-pad. I feel like yeah. that's that's the way God intended for me to really play versus Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. And until that can happen, I mean, there is you know the the Pro Controller, but I want to play it in a handheld format. I yeah. did. But I bought this one over the holiday break because I had brought the Switch to my mom's place to show it off. We ended up just playing Jackbox Party Pack the, the most, but <laughs> right. uh, but when we wanted to play an old game, I was like, well, we could play sort of Super Mario because it just it brought us. It, it, Super Mario especially has a real special place in my heart with my mom because, you know, I begged and begged and begged for an NES and I got it. But when we got it, she played Super Mario Brothers at least as much as I did, if not more, because she didn't have bedtime. She could stay up and play it all night. And, like, so it was fun to play, you know, 30 years later, 30. Three years later, Jesus, uh, playing playing Super Mario with my mom again. Even if it was versus, was all I could download. But uh, uh, though, in yeah, one last thing I'll say about it is that I only played it a tiny bit at Applebee's as a kid because then once I realized the tricks to it, I was like, well, I'll just go over to the Play Choice stand and play RBI or something else, like mm. in, for three <laughs> innings, and then I need to beg for another yeah. quarter. Uh, I wanted to add something, a couple things. Mm-hmm. First of all, you mentioned that they shortened the countdown sometimes. Um, that reminded me of Super Luigi U, new Super Luigi oh, U, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is another game made just with challenging levels. So there you go. There's another example. Yeah. And also just on the general subject of like tweaking levels, like they reminded me also in uh, Mario Deluxe, the, the super player levels are kind of – they took out the wind and they shortened some bits of it to make some jumps easier in other levels. So – it's a bit of a neutering. Hmm. <laughs> that that <laughs> might be the only sense in which worse? this game is yeah. a neutering. I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> there you go. We didn't get Mario 2 in America. We did get versus Super Mario Brothers. But we didn't get uh, another game, which was Super Mario Brothers Special. But then again, I don't think most people played this one. Mm. This was another one of those Hudson games. It came out around the same time as Mario 2 for Famicom Disk System. This game came out for PC-8801 again and I think uh, Sharp X1. And yeah, it's one of those Hudson joints where you're like, oh, it's the Nintendo game, but everything's off and weird. And I discovered this game thanks to Ray, actually, back at 1UP. Mm. And uh, 
So I think I will let you no, talk about again. this one. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I think of like oddball, esoteric Hudson games that are very interesting and uh, a little a little confusing, I think of you. I feel like that's something yeah. you're you have a fondness for, or at least a lot of knowledge of. Well, thank you. I guess I'll say you know how <laughs> Super Mario Brothers is known for its horizontal scrolling. Uh, Super Mario Brothers Special has none of that. <laughs> It is wow. <laughs> as a screen flipper, basically. You go to the edge of the screen and there's the rest of the level. And and this was just, not unheard of. There were no. a few other games that had this uh, effect, you know, this, this terrible uh, handicap thrust upon them, uh, such as Adventure Island for Sega SG-1000. Yeah. Like that, wow, that's, mm. a, that's a rough one. So, I mean, this was a common problem, I think, not just these computers, but also computers over here. I had PC standards, which basically had to have scrolling completely hacked in like years after these <laughs> platforms were invented. Um, so, I mean, it's, again, just Hudson trying to work within limitations, but also deliver a Mario game with like completely new levels. Some of them might be as punishing as some of the lost levels, not just entirely because of the lack of scrolling, but just like they're kind of like trying to puzzle things out. And it's also made by people who are not uh, at Nintendo. So they I, don't really know. I don't know what colors they had access to, but they chose the worst ones because this hurts to look at this game. Yellow it's Mario's like, Adventure in Orange Land. Yeah. yeah that's basically uh, it. Ice for, uh, for I guess, uh, people that want to go blind. They, they probably had mm-hmm. access to like six or eight colors. Yeah. So they I'm sure they did their best. The, yeah. the game looks pretty. I mean, colors aside, it looks pretty much like Nintendo's visual design. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the not not having played it myself, but just looking at it, the physics seem off. Like the way turtles fall, like it's a weird arc that, that isn't <laughs> like Super Mario Brothers. It's it's like what what are they doing? And yeah. The way Mario moves, like I, I you know watching YouTube videos of people trying to do the maneuver that Mario does, where he jumps and twists around in midair so he can like you know reach a platform that's directly above him uh you just can't do that here so so i feel like they did their best and it wasn't good enough but they 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 compensated by throwing in some stuff that wasn't in super mario brothers and the further you get into the game the weirder things start to be (laughs) because after a while it's like it's Super Mario Brothers, but here's elements from Mario Brothers. And now here's some elements from Donkey Kong. So, like, the, the yeah. point at which you are in Bowser's castle and you need to go up the staircase and there's barrels falling down the staircase and a question block and you hit the question block and a hammer comes out. That's where you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Bring sure. Bring the punch balls. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's heightened by the the screen flipping basically because you know every time you reach into the screen the screen blanks out for like a split second and then you you're presented with something else and you had no idea if it was coming or not I mean if you're playing it first time it's complete discovery just because of the screen change Yeah well what I I do think the they make the best of the screen flipping here whereas yeah. Adventure Island on SG1000 like I've played that and they didn't really change the level layout yeah. to accommodate for the fact that hey, like you don't know what's coming up after you flip screens. Here, each screen becomes its own kind of like, you know, microcosm. Exactly. And everything is self-contained. Like there are no stages that I, I or no 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 transition that I that I've seen in like the 
20 minutes of video that I've watched where you tr- do a screen transition and it, like if you're not jumping, then you're going to bump into something. Or if you are jumping, you're going to get screwed over. Like it's always fair when you transition into a new screen, you have a chance to respond and react. It becomes unfair later in this game I'm looking at right now oh, does it? Uh, where okay. you jump off a platform into nothing. You don't know where you will end up. Mm, yeah. yeah. But, so in some cases, you know, they got even more cruel okay. than Mario 2. Well, so I watched the first half of the game, I guess, and it seemed okay. But I, I feel like it, that could be just a late game sort of. Yeah, I, I jumped ahead and skipped around toward the end, and and uh, you know didn't watch every single transition. But it's hard to watch. This game is hard to look is. at. So it's... I don't blame you for only watching twenty minutes of it. I, I did kind of blank out for a while after after watching it for for a bit. I mean, everything is based on the fact that these computers were just like a generation or two removed from a calculator. So. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's impressive that they managed to you know squeeze this game into this tech. Like, it is a, it is an effort, uh, an act of self abuse, and also a little bit of love. It's, um, it's a triumph in that way for Hudson that they even made a game that could be presentably confused with Super Mario Brothers <laughs> in a screenshot. God, I wonder how many kids uh, they ruined with this game. I don't. <laughs> I don't turn think them this, away from video games. I don't think this game is actually all that special, but mm. it definitely is kind of Super Mario Brothers. Um, but you know the 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 existence of these Hudson games. There's like three or four of them that uh, they they adapted from Nintendo games. Like it's they're just strange that they existed. And Nintendo by this point, you know, this was 1986, so Nintendo was pretty much all in on um, you know Famicom, NES. And they weren't licensing licensing stuff, but then Hudson was still making these games. So it makes me wonder: like, did Hudson have a special exception because they supported the Famicom really early on? Mm. And in a lot of ways, you know, Nintendo owed some of the success of the Famicom in the early days to the work of Hudson. Games like Load Runner and Nuts and Milk. I don't know. Well, they also made the software for Family Basic. So mm. that was a really – that was the tightest they probably mm. ever got. OK. Right. And um, <clears throat> forgot about that. Yes. So, or it could be a business deal was made over drinks and one person didn't remember. <laughs> sure, maybe. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Mm. It, was, it was a more mm. informal time. You, you hear stories of Yamauchi's capriciousness in, in making decisions sometimes. It could have just been a golfing buddy or whatever. It's or the bubble. Anything is possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that, you know, and Nintendo was OK with this – terrible butchery of Super Mario Brothers but then a few years later when id came to them and were like look we put Super Mario Brothers 3 on a PC let us let us make this game for you and publish it and you're going to be rich it's going to be crazy and Nintendo said no mm. like that does kind of speak to you know i think how the company clamped down by that point mm-hmm. because you started to see less and less american designed weird mario paraphernalia merchandise at that point mm-hmm. but i also wonder how much of that is just about relationships because yeah. nintendo and hudson were tight whereas nintendo probably saw id come to them and were like who are these people like we don't know them we don't have a relationship nobody's from texas like (laughs) they made a game yeah i mean japanese business is so heavily predicated on relationships and trust and getting to know people and and you know building that bond over time so i could see where you know hudson built that with them whereas id did something that was i think in a lot of ways more impressive than what hudson did here and brought it to nintendo and, and probably could have made nintendo a lot of money on the pc market but nintendo was like who are you, Texans? What's up? No. Well, and for Nintendo, like, they do make a lot of money. So it is – It's it is 
weird to think of somebody just leaving millions and millions of dollars on the table, but That's for Nintendo's them, it's way. just like, eh, we've got money. Or, or also maybe at the time they were thinking, well, we've, we've got a deal going with uh, – Phillips or whatever oh, to right. put this somewhere mm-hmm. else. So you get you Texans are getting in the way of this shit. Yeah, Nintendo is always happy to turn away monies as long as they do so on their own terms. Mm-hmm. So this was yeah, it was them saying no on our terms. Like this is going to be you know how we do things. Phillips was them was them saying no to Sony and sticking with their own terms, even though it was you know the outcome was terrible there, just <laughs> awful. Ah. I mean, PlayStation's great, but <laughs> the CDI games, oh, not so much. PlayStation doesn't have Hotel Mario. That's no, right. it doesn't. <laughs> and we're going to have ourselves a Hotel Mario episode one of these days. Mario checks in, but he doesn't check out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so... <laughs> I like that. Super Mario Brothers special, weird little game. Just two more things to wrap up here. Uh, All Night Nippon Super Mario Brothers, which is one of those things that in my younger days I almost bought just because it's so such a, a weird little novelty. But I think at this point I have more financial responsibilities and the game has gone up in price a lot. So it's not really something that I'm tempted by anymore. But this was basically an official Nintendo authorized ROM hack. Um, Pretty much, yeah. One of the originals, but also not exactly unique in a realm of like other promotional type games that were coming out. Right, then. but but what was unique about it is that it is yeah. Super Mario, Mario Brothers, Brothers. Yes. Yes. where things have been hacked to be like very very time and place specific radio personalities. Um, yeah. It's a yeah, it's a strange game. They took Super Mario Brothers, put it on Disk System, which happened on its own. Like you could buy Super Mario Brothers on Disk System, mm-hmm. but this version of it, I guess they were like, "Well, we've got some extra disk disk space, and this is a cheap medium, so let's give this away as a prize and use it to promote this radio program yeah. <laughs> on uh, Fuji, you know, Fuji Radio." So. Goombas and and other enemies, piranha plants become like caricatures of radio personalities, which actually is really interesting. Like, how did people even know what these radio personalities looked like? Because it is radio; you don't see them. Well, I don't know what Rick Dees looks like. I could not point out Casey to. Kasem in a police lineup. Wait, what? <laughs> there there are like eight people on the cover of the caricatures of eight people on the cover of this game. But I, I recommend everyone look up the cover. It's very hilarious because it has a blue uh, sort of like the Ox King version of Bowser holding out a piranha <laughs> plant to one of the women on the um, – in in the radio show and it's it's Kotabe art is it Kotabe? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really worth looking at because it's just bizarre and hilarious. And they're and they're driving in a car. Right. They're driving in a mushroom car. Well, for like a crash course in Japanese pop culture and celebrity, like you have comedians who are famous mostly on TV, but they also go on All Night Nippon, which is a long running sort of comedy radio show that runs late at night, of course, and they have rotating hosts, and so it's a very very popular sort of in and out thing where all these comedians come by all the time. So I guess you know the most contemporary uh, uh, regulars on that show were featured in the game. Uh, oh, so that makes sense. So okay, people would know who they are just by so looking more, at them on TV and magazines and such. And it's so. more Fuji TV as opposed to Fuji Radio. Hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, no, no, I just mean everything. Instead of the mushroom retainers. Oh, yeah. oh. I was going to say, instead of the mushroom retainers, it's the eight people they're caricaturing yes. in this game. So <laughs> they show up at the end of every level. They look like me's, actually. Uh, yeah. On this cover. I'd say this game has more in common with Versus Super Mario Brothers because it has <laughs> some mm. of the change graphics. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So this was only given away as a prize for a contest. Is that correct? In, in extremely small numbers. Well, relatively small numbers. Um, you know, there are some games like the the Capcom Rockman games, the gold Rockman games that were given away to six people who designed or eight people who designed the Robot yeah. Masters. It wasn't that rare. And I think, you know, like 10 years ago, you could buy it for $100. $120. Now it's a lot more. Wow. But, yeah. But um, so it's not like ultra rare like where it was, you know, $2,000 a couple right. – like 10 years ago. If it was gold plated, sure. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. I not think like, they were all just gold hand. plastic. <laughs> I, I Plated, quote unquote. Oh, OK. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, it's, um, it is a, a pretty unique and rare Mario oddity. Um, I don't know. Would you say it's the rarest Mario game? Or do you think maybe some of the Hudson PC games would be depends on what, to find? Yeah, maybe. It also depends on what you define as a Mario game. Would you include like the sweater tutorial software? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, uh, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Uh, Mario teaches sweating. Sweating? <laughs> sweating. <laughs> there's also the – uh, Sorry. Knitting sweatings. There's the sweating there's sweaters. The, version of Yoshi's Cookies that sells an oh, oven. Oh, right. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the rarest. What version is this? I've never heard of it. Oh, it's like another tie-in thing. But it's like uh, Yoshi's Cookie but with like um, imagery for like an oven. Oh, OK. Something like that mm. or something else. Yeah, you had to like buy an oven <laughs> in order to get this game. That's so great. Yeah, it is it's it is super scarce. Uh, OK, so maybe not the rarest Mario game but definitely up there. And um, it does have some unique content. Like like Ray said, it, it remixes some of the levels. So it's not just like, you know, Super Mario Brothers with some slightly hacked graphics. It is it is changed. So if you're interested, you could, you know, download a ROM of it and try it out and be like, oh, some weird stuff here. OK, well, that's great. I'm glad I didn't spend $200 on this. Mm-hmm. The end. <laughs> so finally, to wrap this up, I want to talk about uh, at Ray's request or suggestion, the uh, final – is it? Would you say it's the final version of Super Mario Brothers? The final take on Super Mario Brothers besides like lost levels? Oh, I see. Yeah, maybe. And yeah. that is Game and Watch Super Mario Brothers, which is one of the very final Game and Watches. There weren't that many more. I think Zelda was last. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not the last one. They were making Game and Watches until '89, I think. Yeah. This was 1987, but there weren't a lot after this. And it is kind of an impressive technical showcase of what the Game and Watch could do. Um, you tend to think of Game & Watch as being like a very simplistic, limited sort of single screen game. And they used – with this game, the Game & Watch technology to create a side-scrolling you know, 2D platformer. Uh, it's very simplistic. Obviously, it doesn't have like Mario's amazing physics and fluidity and that sort of thing. But given that it was basically a calculator playing Super Mario <laughs> Brothers, that's pretty yeah. impressive. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a trip too, but it's basically just Mario weaving his way up and down through platforms. Um, so it's less of a platformer, kind of maze-ish as well because the, they grow in complexity of course. Right. But eventually in like later stages, like you'll just be like have Mario flying in midair around like barriers and things. So it's, <laughs> it gets kind of trippy. It's almost uh, in some ways like, uh, like the lost levels and the ways it sort of like, uh, uh, flips the script on itself sometimes. Um, Do, does it have enemies in it? 
Or is it just platforming? Shoot, I don't. I remember any enemies. No, I think it was just. I, I played yeah. a lot of it too when it was new, and it was. I think it was just platforming. I just remember the constant like tick, tick, tick sound of moving through yeah, you, it, and just uh, seeing new things appear, like just new platforms appear as you're moving forward, and, which and, are just lines. Like they're just yeah, different yeah, lines yeah. of the thing. But yeah, just digital bars and mm, just digital bars. But to think that uh, you know. Technology that they had only used for single screen experiences for so long. Even when they did Donkey Kong, they're just like Donkey Kong Junior. That's like, well, we're not doing more than one screen. Somehow they are able to put Mario's like for the LCD to work too. Mario's Mario's character has to be everywhere on the screen for him to be illuminated forever wherever you put him. Yeah. That's just like a lot of real estate for uh, a character to take up. Yeah, I, I imagine they had to use a more advanced watch processor for this because mm-hmm. um, there, were, you know, the original idea behind Game and Watch was that a calculator chip could only produce X number of, like, you know, illuminate X number of positions. Um, so, however many pieces there are on a digital watch, like that's the number of different phases or stages that a uh, uh, an early Game & Watch could have. And I'm pretty sure this goes way beyond the limits of those early systems. Yeah. So this is an example of, I think, you know, the technology growing in a very sort of tiny and almost insignificant way. I mean, I well, I would want, I wonder really because like I would really like to know how this particular one was made. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm sure they must have used some real trickery to like squeeze in all these sorts of level layouts and stuff. And it's like uh, – yeah, almost a decade's worth of like experience making these <laughs> Game mm-hmm. & Watch games. So you have these guys, I don't know, who knows what they could have figured out by then. Yeah, yeah I, I have very specific memories tied to this because it was uh, when my family moved at, at the, for the first time, which is like that's you're always going to remember that for the first time your family moves or if your family ever does move. I, I was like seven. It was 89. I'm seven. We're moving from Arkansas to Atlanta. And this is before we uh, had the Game Boy. Like, there was no Game Boy yet. So they – I think it was because I was just so sad or just to make <laughs> me feel better. They, uh, My parents got me this Game & Watch to play through the trip. And so it's what I remember playing the entire drive from Arkansas to Georgia and just over and over again. Like, just the, the sound of it, the playing of it, and also as a little kid who didn't have a watch, just – Having a thing to tell me what time it was was like, wow, look at this. And it was just like so sturdy and cool. I, I really like that about it. I never played it, so I can't speak. <laughs> I haven't either. I played a lot of these Tiger games, but they, looking at a video of this, it seems like uh, it's not as visually interesting, but it's yeah, way no. more ambitious in terms mm-hmm. of conveying. It's very sophisticated, yeah, yeah. In terms of conveying like space you're traveling through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they reinterpreted it a few times. There is like a crystal version of it, like a special edition game and watch. It's just like a transparent version of it. Um, and then they made a uh, watch version of it as well. That was like, the first sort of watch game and watch thing like that came out in America. Yeah, I had the Zelda watch which was yeah. very uh well done in terms of conveying a dungeon on on like an LCD watch. It was and very you can well even done. fight a 
um, Gliok, right? There, I think there are multiple bosses. I think there's at least two bosses. Aquamentus. That's it. That was pretty cool. My my only other problem with it now, though, is because I did uh, I dug it up and actually bought watch batteries and played it like a decade ago again. But it's that I really miss a D pad on it. It does not have a D pad. It is four. It's two buttons on one side, four on the other for the D pad. Just getting you ready for switch. Yeah. 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 It. uh, But they. But they already had. The D the D pad on game game and watch technology was definitely existed already. That was where the D pad came from. Yeah, so it's I, just weird to me that they didn't have. I, it. It makes sense to me because Mario is not moving smoothly. No, you're that's just, true. You're just, you're just tapping directions. You really are just going so. like, oh, now I got to be up. No, yeah. now I got to be down. Oh, yeah. got to be over. Like, yeah, yeah. You're not playing Mario Odyssey with a Switch D pad or anything. <laughs> that's true. Okay, so any final thoughts on these Mario oddities, these odds and ends of the series? Uh, well, I mean, nostalgia definitely means a lot for me because I have way more positive memories for the game and watch Mario than I do for Mario 2, which just came – Lost Levels just came to me at the wrong time for me to like it perhaps. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Ray's, Ray's talking it up maybe has, has gotten me to – maybe I'll try it again whenever – it eventually comes out on the Switch when I'm sure they'll have Virtual Console figured out any yeah. day now. Yeah, they're working on, it. on that one. Yeah, but uh, maybe I'll finally give it its uh, a, a real shot on the Switch in the future. Hmm. That's all I would ask for, really, because like I just like I said, I don't. I, this thing's kind of getting ET'd, and I think that people are just mm. relying on rumors and people on other people on forums saying it's bad or whatever. And it's just like just try it for yourself. I mean, it's a Mario game. It's not. It's not some crazy super table flipping thing i mean it is just it's a mario game at its core it's platforming has mario physics like, just try it and uh whether you like it or not i mean that's fine but you should just try it for yourself my standout is uh Mar- the original mario brothers i can Likewise. always slip back into it i feel like yeah. it's uh I, in my opinion i think it's the most playable game of that vintage it's still very playable today and uh, again just stare at that arcade art. I love that era of the Nintendo's yeah, arcade you know what? art. I, if, if they ever make Cuphead for Switch, they should add Mario and Luigi in that side. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah and also uh, I think it was the uh, Metacom. Is that yep. the name of the – okay, yeah. They make figures of all the off-model uh, yeah. Nintendo characters. So they, they do have a, a great uh, little model Mario and Luigi and I recommend you buy those and stare at them. Yeah, I missed out on those. No. And so you turn them to any angle than the one they're on the cover yeah. and you're like, this is freakish. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, also really love Mario Brothers, and uh, it's one of those games I mentioned on our recent Namco episode that anytime I come across Dig Dug in an arcade, I have to play it. And Mario Brothers is one of those also where yeah. I see it, and if it, you know, the arcade actually, this game actually works. I will drop a quarter in and play it. People always have photos of their loved ones or their pets on their iPhone lock screen, but mine has been Mario Brothers for the past three years because those enemies are so happy and they're smiling and I love nobody. So uh, Mario Brothers is my one true love. My, All right. You love it more than your bird. Well, that's true. Well, my bird's my wallpaper, so okay. uh, oh, they share equal right. footing in my life. Of course, of course. <laughs> my mistake. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Retronauts. Thanks, everyone, for listening and thanks, guys, for coming in. Retronauts, of course is a podcast that comes out weekly and then some and you can listen to it at retronauts.com on iTunes and other such networks and on Podcast One. We are supported uh, through Patreon, patreon.com slash retronauts. That keeps the lights on for the show and for our lives. So your support is awesome and we reward you for that support 
with uh, early access one week ahead to each episode and a higher bit rate with no ads. And that is a great and amazing deal that you just can't pass up. But if you do pass it up, that's okay. We still like you. Listen to it for free. It's cool. There's no barrier to entry here. We just liked having an audience of people listening to us talk about old video games. Okay, that's enough for me. <laughs> uh, guys, tell us about yourselves. Uh, well, hey, I'm H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G on Twitter. Follow me there for all my uh, saucy opinions, but also to hear about my own podcasting empire I share with Bob, uh, Talking Simpsons, where we do every episode of The Simpsons in chronological order, deep into season seven at the time of this recording. And uh, But you get so many more things, including... What a cartoon where we go through a different cartoon episode every week in a different series in the Talking Simpsons style. We dig into all of the references. We dig into the history. We explain it all in our fun, nerdy way. And if you love Futurama, we did the same for Futurama, but it's only on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons along with a ton of other exclusives. And probably by the time this goes live, Jeremy will be on a few episodes of Talking Futurama. Hell yeah. Maybe. But yeah, that's I call this. So this, this sales pitch is one over one person, so I consider it successful. I consider this, uh, so I'm going to call this the combo meal for Patreon. <laughs> if you get if you get Retronauts on Patreon for three bucks and Talking Simpsons for five bucks, it's the price of a burrito. And for sacrificing one burrito meal, you will have a month of too many podcasts. Frankly, mm-hmm. you'll be drowning in podcasts, and uh, we'll be holding your heads underwater. And you'll live longer. <laughs> yes, and you'll live longer. Uh, but yes, uh, please uh, donate to all of us, uh, even Ray. Give can we Venmo you, Ray? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, cool, cool. Anything, so yeah. we'll put that on the on the web. Website. But yes, I've been Bob Mackey. Uh, find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. And please listen to all the podcasts. Thank you. Yeah. And star of the show, please. Well, first of all, I need that burrito meal. My family is dying. Felt <laughs> <laughs> um, like star for one night so yeah, we might uh, live. I'm on Twitter, RDBAAA. I also make video games as Bipedal Dog on Twitter as well. I made a game called Blast Rush, which is about as dickish as Mario Brothers The Lost Levels, mm. which means it's much better and you should play it for sure. Uh, that's on iOS and Android and Amazon, blah, blah, blah. Very good. And finally, I've been Jeremy Parrish. I mentioned that maybe before, but I didn't mention that you could find me on Twitter as GameSpite and at Retronauts.com and other places where I do stuff and write stuff. It's great. Um, Yeah, that's it. So we'll be back in a week with another full episode and probably this Friday with a micro. So look forward to those. See you later. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth, you will certainly send any text about your supervisor to your supervisor. What's with Janet's bangs? Did she lose a bet with a weed whacker? <laughs> LOL. And sent. Wait, no, 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 no. Truth, it's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. Janet, I think my phone was hacked or something. GEICO, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 
The Mueller Report. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. President Trump was asked at the White House if special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation report should be released next week when he will be out of town. I guess uh, from what I understand, that will be totally up to the attorney general. Maine Susan Collins says she would vote for a congressional resolution disapproving of President Trump's emergency declaration to build a border wall, becoming the first Republican senator to publicly back it. In New York, the wounded supervisor of a police detective killed by friendly fire was among the mourners attending his funeral. Detective Brian Simonson was killed as officers started shooting at a robbery suspect last week. Commissioner James O'Neill was among the speakers today at Simonson's funeral. It's a tremendous weight to bear, knowing that your choices will directly affect the lives of others. The cops like Brian don't shy away from it. It's the very foundation of who they are and what they do. The robbery suspect and a man police say acted as his lookout have been charged with murder. I'm Ed Donahue.